welcome to the Moisture Farm Report, the Star Wars podcast that came to us from the gutter. Uh, I am your host, Adam Wheeler, and joining me as always uh, is our other host, James Matthews. How are you doing, man? God, does it really feel like it comes in the gutter? You tell me, James, you tell me. Um, <laughs> certainly the Grand Inquisitor might think so. <laughs> there have definitely been some days we've had like technical difficulties and it's felt like this podcast belongs in the gutter. But <laughs> generally, generally it's fine, like 60% of the time it's good. Okay, okay, so the Star Wars podcast that comes from... So was the podcast that comes from the middle shelf? Like, I'm trying to think of yeah. like a nice medium, or like, or, or are we going like, are we bigging ourselves up? We're saying from the heavens. Star Wars, the Star Wars I, podcast that fell from the heavens. I wouldn't go that far. No, um. no, let's not. Let's not. <laughs> Same. The Star Wars podcast that we found on the side of the street, but it's still in like decent enough oh. condition that oh. we could take it home and keep it. Um, yeah. How how are you? How is your week been, James? Has it been okay? Uh, it's been good. We've been having a, a terrible heat wave in the UK at the moment when we've been recording this, so I've been not dealing with that very well. Um, mostly sulking about it. But yes. I don't know. I think it's going to end soon, which would be good. I'm, I'm very looking forward to that. Just quickly, um, is just to remind the listeners that uh, if you do love this podcast and if you do um, appreciate what we do, uh, why not head down to buymeacoffee.com forward slash moisture farm rep where you can buy us a cup of jarwood juice. Isn't that right, James? Or an iced coffee in this weather would go down a treat. <laughs> yeah, maybe a buy us a frappe.com. An, an iced jarwood juice. That sounds yes. great. <laughs> um, oh, that would be delicious! It would be fantastic. Oh, oh um, maybe maybe Dexter should put that on his uh, on his menu. <laughs> uh, but um, one thing I should point out is that if any of the listeners think that I am in any slight way a bit echoey today, that's probably because I am recording this episode from a room, and it is an echoey, echoey room. Um, so apologies <laughs> for that in advance. Adam is coming to us from the cathedral, from Westminster Cathedral. Have you you've been you've been watching um, a New Hope though, haven't you? Recently. Yes, I finally got around to it after Kenobi finished. I was going to watch it straight after, um, but I was I think I was away the week that Kenobi finished, so I thought no, I'll watch it when I get home, and I just never got around to it. Um, but oh man, watching that again after after Kenobi was really sweet. Seeing a lot of the all of the Princess Leia stuff after seeing Little Leia growing up. Mm, um, mm, it, mm. It's funny, it gave me a whole new kind of appreciation of the of the film, and I don't think I've seen A New Hope actually for a long time. It's one of those ones right. that I never really go back to rewatch that often. It's one of my favourite ones. I think I, I used to be, I think it's in my top five. And mm. I, you said top even, three last week. It might be top three, actually. It changes week to week. <laughs> it does. It always does. Don't, I, don't expect a solid list. But has it given you a greater appreciation for the badass that is um the mar um mars uh the lars oh of course it made me wonder when um you know how luke finds their corpses outside the the hut and we think they've been you know killed by the stormtroopers it made me wonder after seeing them with the guns in obi-wan kenobi how many stormtroopers they took out before they went down right or even even if those are actually uh, Owen and Baru's corpses, or whether they're just stormtroopers that Baru set fire to. And Luke was like, oh, I assume that's my aunt and uncle who, you know, would have been killed by stormtroopers. But actually, I'm my headcanon is that Owen and Baru survived, and they're just living off somewhere in hiding, having their best life. I don't know, I, um, I saw a meme of, uh, I think it was the kitchen scene where Owen comes in to speak to Baru, and Owen says something like, he saw the corpses, but he thought that they were us. And Buru was like, well, it's time for him to go on his own path. Do you want to go and sit on the beach for a while? 
So I believe that's what happened. I think they're at Takadana, just chilling out in the castle, having a nice beachside holiday. Yeah, maybe they could be tucking into all those lovely drinks that we were discussing on the first exactly. episode of the season. Or maybe, yeah, um, enjoying a, a nice beach day on Scarif. I think they deserve yes. it at this point, don't they? They definitely do. But, James, before we go mm-hmm. on to another big tangent, shall we get into today's topic? Yeah, I'm raring to go with this one. So, James, mm-hmm. the James, James <laughs> Matthews, uh, what are we talking about Are you about vamping today? for time there? No, no. Were you um, not sure what you were going to say? No, no, I, I just, do you know in the thick of it, you know in the series The Thick of It where he goes up to Ben and he goes, Ben, yes. ben Benji Ben, little Benjamin, Ben, he, like, that's just, yeah, I was trying to do something like that. Don't know, don't know sure, if sure. that reference. Um, what are we talking about today? We are going to be talking about a... We're going back to our roots with background characters today. Like, real obscure background characters. And I've got one from the sequel trilogy that I want Ooh. to talk about. And I I think this might be a little bit of a roller coaster episode. Because you know how sometimes we do an episode on, like, a character or a story, and it's pretty straightforward, you know, we just kind of go through their life story, a bit of, you know, chat about them as a character, or a bit of a chat about where the story goes, and it's quite straightforward. And then sometimes we have weeks where we think the story is going to be really straightforward. And then the more you dig into it, you realise that you've got like 18 Wikipedia tabs open and it's gone down a series of rabbit holes and you're like, this is ridiculously big to contain in one episode. This might be one of the latter ones. Right. Um, prepare yourselves, listeners. So this is this is um, uh, a story of a character that kind of spans the sequel trilogy, but also the prequels and the Clone Wars. Um, so we're going to be talking today about Sidon Ithano, otherwise known as the Crimson Corsair, the Blood Buccaneer, the Red Raider, the Silent Scourge of the Lost Cluster, and the Scourer of Adratharp Seven. Now, Adam, have you ever heard of Sidon Ithano, the Crimson Corsair, the Blood Buccaneer, the Red Raider, the Silent Scourge of the Lost Cluster, and the Scourer of Adratharp Seven? No. You've not heard of Sidonithano, the Crimson Corsair, the Blood Buccaneer, the Red Raider, the Silent Scourge of the Lost Cluster, and the Scourer of Adratharp Seven? Um, no, I haven't, James. Do you mind, um, do you mind repeating <laughs> that? <laughs> well, Sidonathano, the Crimson Corsair, Blood Buccaneer, etc., etc. If you've seen The Force Awakens, which I know you have, uh, you will have seen Sidonathano, because he's one of the characters in Maz Kanata's castle, uh, and he is the he is the pilot that Maz Kanata directs Finn to when Finn says he wants to leave and escape the First Order, and she points to a table and says, "Those two over there, they're giving like exchanging work for travel to the Outer Rim." And Sidonithano is one of those pilots. And he's dressed all in red with a big black cloak. And he's got this really distinctive, like, red war mask on, uh, which is actually a Kalish mask. And if you haven't heard of the Kalish before, they are the species General Grievous comes from. So he's got a kind of General Grievous-esque red mask. And if you're a Lego Star Wars fan, you might know about Sidonithano as well. This is where I came across his name, because he's a a playable character in the Lego Force Awakens and in the Lego Skywalker Saga. And there's even a level on the Force Awakens Lego game that's dedicated to Sidonathano and his crew. He is a pirate captain who operated in the Outer Rim during the days of the New Republic and the rise of the First Order. He is a member of the Delphidian species, which are like a humanoid species from... uh, It's called the Delphidian Cluster on the borders of Wild Space, our favourite part of the galaxy. 
And they're distinctive for their, they've got like dark gray skin, which is marked by these patterns of close kind of textured lines, a bit like the, the natives of Utapau, but instead of yes. like light gray skin, it's very dark and leathery. Mm. But of course you don't see his face because it's buried beneath this incredible oh kind of red war mask. I've just, I've just looked him up. Um, and Are you I looking at a picture of him? him. Um, he he mm. looks crazy. In fact, he looks very much. Yeah, right. Of he he looks like the the way that I would have imagined the ancient Sith to have looked like in the Legends comics. Um, you know how in one of our episodes ah. we talked about how the ancient Sith were these alien-like species who were just completely in red, um, mm. these crazy um, these crazy facial features. Um, it kind of reminds me of that. That's interesting. I didn't think of that. I wonder. There's nothing on kind of where he got you know, why he got this inspiration to dress up like this, but I do wonder whether it was a kind of intimidation thing. So as I just alluded to, not a lot is known about Sidonathano's early life, uh, apart from the fact that he came from this Delphidian species, but that's kind of it. Uh, but at some point, he joined the crew of the pirate cruiser, the New Gilliland, which is harder to say than I thought it would be. New the Gilliland. New Gilliland. 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 I thought it was Gilliand, and then I realised there's an other, there's an extra L in there, and it keeps throwing me every single time I see it. Uh, but thankfully, I won't have to keep talking about that ship for very long because <laughs> it got blown up by the huts. Um, but he served on the ship as a member of the pirate crew, and he served in there for a few years, and he built up a reputation as a notorious corsair in the outer rim. And over time, he built up enough credits to buy his own ship and his own crew, and become a pirate captain in his own right. So Sidon bought a Corellian Star Shuttle, which, again, is a ship that you will have seen, uh, because this is where the prequel trilogy starts tying in. Uh, it's a model of transport that was used by the Republic Senate a lot during the prequel films, especially in the, the Phantom Menace. And Sidon bought one of these old Star Shuttles, and he outfitted it with all sorts of weapons and armaments and like laser cannons and shields, and he called it the Messon Martinet. I love that he bought this because it's not the kind of ship you'd expect a pirate to own, right? He's essentially like bought up an old coach and outfitted it with laser guns and shields and torpedoes. Mm. But it's still just a bus used by politicians in the past. It kind of reminds me of like a Mad Max sort of thing where like they're driving these kind of, you know, battered up old cars, but they're like covered in spikes and guns and stuff. Yeah, it's um, so there's so I mean, what? It, it sounds interesting. It sounds very much from his look and from this description of this thing mm. that you described that he's he just wants to strike fear in people. That's just what I get. Mm. It just sounds like he is all about the creation of an image and the creation of a myth. Uh, also with all of these different names that are given to him. He <laughs> yeah. um, just sounds like this crazy intimidating character. I think that's a big part of his, uh, his game because when he, when he got his own ship and his own crew he started building up this reputation he had and kind of building on it even more and becoming known as this fearsome fighter and this brave, intrepid explorer of the galaxy because uh, he was the first pirate to ever sail the treacherous Lost Clusters of the Outer Rim, hence Ooh. the name The Scourge of the Lost Clusters. And he led his crew in a ferocious battle against other pirates on the planet of Adratharp 7, hence the other nickname he got. And he, he built up this kind of... Um, I keep saying reputation. He built up this kind of image as a pirate who, you know, if you saw him coming, the best thing you could do is surrender. 
And his reputation became so extensive that he could actually get ships that he engaged to give up just by ordering them to lower their shields without ever needing to fire a shot. They would just see him coming, they'd hear him on the comms saying, lower your shields, prepare to be warded, and they would just do it because they knew if they stood against him that they would probably all be killed. Whereas at least there's a chance if they give up now, they can escape with their lives. Yeah. And he also, a bit of a kind of odd thing, he became known for never really speaking that much or like speaking very, very minimally. And his crew eventually were able to understand his orders either by like hand gestures he gave or they just had this intuition after serving with him for so long about what he wanted to do next. And especially his first mate, who we also see in The Force Awakens, he's the other um, outer rim pilot with Sid on on Takadana. Yeah. It it's um it's interesting. I I didn't know much about this character, but yeah, now scrolling through Google, I can see there's mm-hmm. like Funko Pop uh, <laughs> yeah. characters on Sido Arno. So he's obviously much he's much more prominent than I imagine. Um, <laughs> it's great. Like is he in any novels or comics? Well, yeah, I'm about to get onto one of them actually, but I think he was one of those ones that um before The Force Awakens came out, I, can't, I don't know if you can remember that they did like a kind of big marketing campaign that was like the road to The Force Awakens, where they had kind of tie-in novels and tie-in comics and stuff. Um, and a lot of these background characters started getting kind of action figures or um, like short stories based on them. And I think the idea was like they weren't going to be part of the plot of the film, but it was just to build up the kind of world of, of the New Republic. Mm. Um, and I think Sidon was just one of those. There was also like Constable Zuvio from... Uh, Jakku, who was weirdly cut from the film, but he had an action figure made of him. Um, right. I I guess a lot of... I don't know, I'm trying to think. There's probably a lot of prequel characters like that, especially from Ahead of the Phantom Menace, like a lot of the pod races, perhaps. Um, yeah. Like Ben Quadraneros, maybe. He probably had a bit of like a cult following, and I think Sid Onithano is sort of that kind of That's vein. True. Like he's He never speaks in the film. He's in maybe two scenes. Yeah. But he's got a bit of like a cult following. Like there's there's certain parts of the Star Wars fan base where if you say the name, they'll be like, oh yeah, the Crimson Corsair. I know who you're talking about. It's interesting um, though, isn't it? That <laughs> Star Wars fans um, tendency to pick out characters mm. from the background and, and, and really get fixated on them in a really yeah. good way. You know, they, in a you know, engaging way in a real fascination to mm. it's, it's quite endearing to see yeah he's um you know it's that term the glupshito isn't it that the kind of background character with a funny name that only like a handful of people will really know about because it's never mentioned on screen um when he wasn't roaming the galaxy sidon and his crew kept a base on a planet called panema terminal which was a desert world in the outer rim there's a lot of desert worlds in the outer rim and this is one of them and one day, about three years before The Force Awakens, they're on this planet and they pick up a distress signal from a ship that had crashed on the planet's south pole. Uh, but it wasn't a recent crash because they realised the signal was actually using a code that was 50 years old and dating back to the last days of the Clone Wars. Because the ship is actually a separatist cruiser that was shot down by Republic forces. And this distress signal, this kind of pre-recorded distress signal that's just been playing on a loop, says that the ship was carrying a precious cargo heading for Count Dooku's palace, uh, palace on Sereno. Mm, what, do you, what do you think the lost treasure might be? Um, the lost treasure? So that infers that this is something that they've discovered after mm. it's been lost for a while, or is this just treasure that they've, they've just found? Because if it's not something that's obscure and that... <laughs> I, I, like, I would think spice. That's what I would think. Mm. Um, like, 
You, you know when in the Book of Boba Fett when those um, pikes were hoarding all the spice crates mm. and going across the sands? That's just what yeah. I go to. <laughs> but who knows? Maybe it's like a treasure trove of old Sith we- um, weapons. Ooh, interesting. Like yeah. Interesting. Or, or, Funny or, you or, say that. Uh, yeah, okay, okay, go for it. Because <laughs> um, Sidon's crew, there's, they've heard a legend about this fabled lost treasure of Count Dooku. And according to a lot of stories and rumours, Dooku was said to have collected lightsaber crystals from as many of the Jedi killed during the Clone Wars as possible. Oh my god, am I right? Am I right? Oh my god. I'm assuming these are all the lightsaber crystals that Grievous hasn't already stolen. Um, But yeah, there's the legend that, you know, every time a Jedi was killed in the Clone Wars, Dooku would order the droids to take the lightsaber and he'd keep the crystal. And I think this might have been after it was discovered that, like, the Death Star was powered by kyber crystals. Um... That was, yeah, there was a story that Dooku was collecting them for Sidious, perhaps. But after the war ended, this vault of kyber crystals was nowhere to be found. There was no treasure hoard of crystals found on his palace or any other of his hideouts. And so Sidon, Nithano and his crew hear this transmission that there was a precious cargo going for Count Dooku's palace. And they think this must have been the his collection of kyber crystals that was being transported to his to his home planet. And it was lost en route. And that's why it was never found. And so they they set off to recover it. Only it's not as simple as just flying their their ship, their repurposed battle bus, um, next to the cruiser and landing it there. Because the part of the desert where this Separatist ship has landed is plagued by violent lightning storms. The only thing it can get out into this part of the desert is stuff that like sticks close to the ground. So they travel out using a sail barge, like Jabba's sail barge from Return of the Jedi. Oh my god! Amazing! They, not, not only have they bought like this old Republic Senate transport and turned it into a gunship, but they've also bought a luxury sail barge and painted it bright red and outfitted it with like torpedoes <laughs> and harpoons and laser but, cannons. But that look that would look like an actual pirate ship. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love it. And then there are the worms. These 90-foot sandworms that swim through the, through the dunes. Oh, no. Not Come worms. up at random intervals, eat ships and speeders whole. So there's a lot of hazards out there. Can, but of can, course... Can, can Star Wars just do without big, horrible worms for a second? Because, you know, there was, the, there was like, the, the kind of... Yeah, there was... Well, I was going to say the in Rogue One, which thing mm. slides into... The Bodhi's ear. It's not really a oh, worm, but there's tentacles that go into his ear. And yeah. There's something about tentacles and worms, and there's the ast- of course there's the asteroid worm in, in yeah. Strikes Back. Where, I say it's a worm, it looks like a worm, right? Um, yeah. And there's the trash compactor thing in A New Hope. Trash compactor thing. Man, what is it with Star Wars and worms? <laughs> they just love a worm in Star Wars. <laughs> Maybe we should do an episode on worms and Star Wars. It sounds like there's a lot to dig into there. But carry on. For sure. Well, this I think was just an, like an homage to Dune. I don't know if you've ever read or seen Dune, but you I know, part know. of that is these massive sandworms that live beneath the deserts of Arrakis, and I think this is just an homage to those. Right. Um, but yeah, they, there's a lot of of deadly worms in Star Wars. But Sidon, Ethano, and his crew—they're no amateur pirates, right? They know how to navigate through this desert. They know their stuff. Yeah, so they, they pilot their funky bright red sail barge past the lava geysers. Uh, geysers? Geysers or geysers? Ge- ge- geysers. 
Geysers. Okay. They... Geysers. Yeah. Geysers is more like, you're right, geese. <laughs> it's more like these uh, goes past these geysers, you know? <laughs> well, I, I thought it was like an English or American pronunciation thing. I thought like in English it's geysers, but American it's geysers. Maybe oh, I'm wrong. Maybe it is, maybe it is then. I've never really if you're that. If you're listening from either side of the Atlantic, please let us know whether you say geyser or geyser. When they reach it and they get on board, they realise that the reason that this distress signal has suddenly started broadcasting after 50 years is because one of those electrical storms going on overhead has actually recharged the ship's reactor, and it started reactivating a load of systems inside the ship, including the comm system, but also including all of the battle droids that were left on there in the crash. Oh, no. Oh, no. That doesn't sound good, James. No, it kind of sounds like a bit of a horror film, I think, where they're walking onto the like into the bridge, and suddenly this arm on a battle droid starts twitching, or like a, one of their eye... Um, like their visual receptor starts flashing or something. It's a typical, and so, uh, it's a typical alien, isn't it? Where the walls yeah, start hatching. It's yes. Kind of that kind of uh, trope, but yeah. So they leg it through the ship to the cargo hold and they find it and they blast open the door. But instead of finding a mountain of kyber crystals inside, they find a single cryostasis pod. Like one of those uh, pods, you know, where you freeze someone for yeah. uh, an different amount of time, like in Futurama. Mm. And there's someone inside the cryopod. Who do you think might be being transported to Count Dooku? Who would be valuable enough to warrant an entire Separatist cruiser to rush him through Republic space and get him to Count Dooku's palace? Uh, don't tell me it's Mace Windu resurre- resurrected. <laughs> that would be amazing. If it's just Mace Windu's hand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like Mace Windu's hand on a pair of robotic legs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they, yeah, mate, and, and this would be fame throughout the galaxy, right? It's like, it's Mace Windu's hand. We know of the legend... <laughs> That it was that this started the the, the galactic empire. <laughs> this hand, yeah. Um, but yeah, who was it? Well, they they open up the pod and they start defrosting it, and inside it's a clone trooper. <gasps> and they ask him who he is, and he says his name is CT sixty one sixteen. Which, if you're a fan of the Clone Wars, you might recognise. If not, he also goes by the name Kicks. <gasps> now, do you? Do you know who Kix is? I know I asked you to look up who Kix was, um, but <laughs> pretend like I didn't, and this is completely off the cuff. Um, okay. Had you not asked me yesterday to look <laughs> up something, I would have said probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I know he's he is one of the prominent um, clones in the Clone Wars. Uh, yep. I just had to have a refresher, really. Um, <laughs> and... Yeah, I mean, outside of Fives and Echo, Rex, um, and a couple of others, I think yeah. Kix is the one that I remember the least. But yeah, on, uh, tell me, a bit, tell me a bit more. I was the same when I read the story and it said Kix. I thought, oh, I'll look that up and see if he's an actual clone in the Clone Wars. And then I read his Wikipedia page and realised he's one of the, like the main Five I First clones. And thought, yeah. oh, I should have been, I should have been paying more attention. Um, I'm sure there's someone out there listening, like Chloe or Nat, who knows exactly who he is straight from that name. Uh, we're sorry, but, we're sorry. <laughs> very sorry. Uh, if you don't know who Kix is, he was one of the members of the 501st, together with, like you said, Rex, Fives, Echo, uh, Jesse. And he's in a lot of the arcs in the Clone Wars, like the Battle of Seleucami, where they find Cut, uh, the clone deserter. He was there at the Battle of Umbara. But more importantly, he was... Uh, do you remember at the start of Season 6... There's, I believe it's the start of season six. There's an arc where Fives learns the truth about the inhibitor chips that yes. the clones have. And 
We might go into a bit of spoilers here for season six. So if you haven't watched The Clone Wars and want to go in unspoiled, maybe stop listening. Or just carry on, because it's it's fun. Um, do you remember, there's a point where Fives, after he learns the truth, Palpatine wants him kind of taken in so that the truth doesn't get out. And Fives ends up on the run on in Coruscant. And he goes to a clone bar. Is it 79's The Clone Bar? He does. He, he rocks up in a taxi and all, yes. the, all the drunk clones... Uh, yeah. help him to not pay the taxi man which uh, i found quite sorry for that guy actually yeah because they're trying to do they, his they job will, they will throw a bottle at him yeah it's quite away. mean <laughs> just yeah but no i do remember it's quite good it's quite an interesting scene yeah fives puts on a cap and he just pulls it down low and that's a disguise um <laughs> <laughs> and fives bumps into one of the soldiers from the 501st and he asks this guy i think he first of all tells him a bit about what he's uncovered and he asks him to set a meeting up with Rex so that Fives can tell Rex the full truth of this conspiracy from Palpatine against the Jedi. After that incident with Fives, Kix gets a bit curious and he thinks, hmm, I wonder what was going on there because I don't believe the story that, you know, Fives had this virus and he went mad. And so Kix starts looking into the inhibitor chips himself and he also figures out this plot from, you know, from Palpatine to destroy the Jedi. And his investigations get noticed. And it goes back to Palpatine. And so Sidious sends out an order for the droid army to capture Kix in battle so that they can interrogate him and find out how much he knew and who else he told and make sure that no one else in the Republic army or the Jedi can find out about this plot. But of course, that ship that was carrying Kix was shot down before he can arrive at Dooku's palace. And he ended up forgotten about in the desert for 50 years until Sidonathano thought him out. Um, and he immediately comes out and he's like, I need to speak to General Skywalker. I need to speak to Commander Rex. Um, I need to tell him about this plot. And it's it's kind of sad because the um, he tells Sid and Nathano's crew what he's learned. And one of them kind of jokes and is like, oh, a plot to destroy the Jedi from Chancellor Palpatine and set up a galactic empire. Yeah, that would be pretty valuable information like 50 years ago. Um, and they're just kind of mad because they thought they were coming here for a great big treasure. And instead they found this guy who knows what is now common knowledge. But for Kix, he's like, no, no, you don't understand. I need to get this information out. I need to save the Jedi and the Republic. And can you imagine what that must be like? You come out of this cryostasis chamber and you find out that, like, not only, you know, has the war that you were fighting ended, but also it's 50 years since it ended. (laughs) That's a whole three more (laughs) episodes of Star Wars to watch. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Imagine if you'd, like... Yeah, imagine if you'd started watching Star Wars from The Phantom Menace. No, not even The Phantom Menace, because when was... I don't know if he was a first-generation clone, but imagine if you'd started watching Star Wars at the Battle of Geonosis in Attack yes. of the Clones and yeah. then stopped after, like, season six, episode four of The Clone Wars and then went straight into The Force Awakens. You're like, I need to understand everything that's happened <laughs> yeah. in between there. His colleagues are, you know, all presumed dead at this point. This is yeah. something that... The, the the main drive of clones is their sense of brotherhood with each yeah. other and both that and their purpose to fight are all gone i can imagine yeah. that is probably a horrible time for him the crim so the crimson corsair mm-hmm. um, the blood buccaneer the red raider the, the lo- the silent scourge of the lost cluster and the scour of atatop seven thank you yes i almost i almost <laughs> looked for google to look at all the names so he probably is probably is quite worried about this or not worried but he's probably deflated at the fact that there's no treasure and it's just this clone um right or is he thinking something else 
Well, I'm not sure. Because, like, he doesn't speak, so he doesn't really give much of a reaction to it. Um, his crew start kind of sniping with each other, because there was one who really led on, like, no, no, this is what the treasure of Count Dooku is, we should go and get it. So they kind of turn on him a bit, and you're like, you led us all the way out here into the desert, like, through the sandworms and the lava spouts for nothing. Um, but Sidon's kind of silent, and I've got a theory on that. Yeah, so before I go on to that theory, I just want to wrap up the story of Sidon Athano. Um because by the time they defrosted Kix and he's told them the events of uh, Revenge of the Sith, the Scepter ship is now swarming with all of these zombie battle droids that have come back to life. And there's a mad dash to the to the exit to get out before the super battle droids catch them. And they just about managed to make it out alive. And Kix goes on to join Sidon Athano's crew. Because, as we've alluded to, he doesn't really have a kind of sense of purpose anymore. He's not really sure where to go. So he joins on with these people who found him. And they have some adventures together. They raid a bunch of forgotten separatist factories throughout the galaxy that Kix knew about. They fight some more reactivated zombie battle droids in one of these factories. And uh, Sidon Ithano and his crew appear in an episode of Resistance that's set about a year after The Last Jedi, where he sold a squad of vintage super battle droids to a fellow pirate. So he can't nice. get away from these super battle droids. Um and this is my theory about how he reacted to finding kicks, because I think that, you know, Sidon Ithano, he bought a vintage, like, Republic Senate cruiser for his battleship. Yeah. He keeps running into battle droids. He seems obsessed with, like, finding separatist holdouts. You know how there's, like, a subsection of middle-aged men who are obsessed with World War II and are constantly, like, watching documentaries about the Spitfire yes. and, like, yes. German dreadnought engineering and stuff yes. like that. Oh, yes, I know them well. Um, I... Not, <laughs> not an offence on any of you if you are, but it's just an observation. No, I, I think I might be part of that subset, and I'm not even middle-aged, but I think Sid Onithano is that, but for the Clone Wars, because he just seems obsessed with this era of the galaxy. And so it's probably the best day of his life when he opens up this treasure hoard of Count Dooku and finds <laughs> that it's not like a bunch of lightsaber crystals. It's a living clone trooper from the Clone oh. Wars. So you're saying, you're saying if, um, if Sid Onithano was in a different profession, he'd probably open a Clone Wars museum on Clone yeah. <laughs> yeah. and like run it run it as a free free for all museum um, yeah he'd probably, he'd probably do guided talks through it Sid, Sid Onithano would turn up in a load of the nat of a natural geographic or natural history yeah. um, programs on war <laughs> yeah. and you know where you get the guests who come up and talk and it has the little name on the bottom of the screen it'd be like mm. Sid Onithano professional pirate <laughs> and Clone Wars enthusiast yeah I'm honestly surprised that he doesn't have something like a repurposed battle droid on his crew like um, Mr Bones from right? the Chuck Wendig novels um, but just to kind of finish this off, so after The Force Awakens and that episode of Resistance, Sid Onithano has one more appearance uh, in Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. And I came across this on Wikipedia, and I was honestly surprised by it, because it said that he took part in the Battle of Exegol, and I assumed that that meant that the Messon Martinet, his ship, was somewhere in that huge fleet behind Lando. And so I thought, it's probably going to be that, because there's, like every ship that's been in Star Wars is in there somewhere. Yeah. But then I saw that he was actually part of the landing assault team that was led by Finn, Janna, and Rose on the Star Destroyer. And so oh, wow. I went back through that battle last night, frame by frame, literally pausing it like every second to find where he was in the background. And it's not even blink and you'll miss it, because he's like... Unless you know he's there, you will never see him. He's like that island in Pirates of the Caribbean where, like, 
it's yeah. you can it can't be found apart from those who know where it is <laughs> so i went back through and i found all of four seconds that he's in so I, i've even got the time codes here in case people want to go and find him um so get your pen and paper out uh so he appears in the the Excore battle on the star destroyer first of all at one hour 42 minutes and 51 seconds Brilliant. Uh, when you can find him behind Cadal Coconix, who's Billy Lord's character. And then he appears a few minutes later at one hour, 48 minutes and 36 seconds as part of like a running crowd. And when you know he's there, he does stand out because he's like in bright red with this big war mask on, whereas everyone mm. else is in the kind of resistance tan and brown and stuff. Um, but yeah, I was surprised to see him there. And he does appear actually in the celebration scene towards the end of the film when they're all back on the resistance base. Uh, he's in there, I think I count up about like 15 seconds or something, he's in those scenes. You can see him when Ray, Finn and Poe hug together, he's like right behind them. And again, if you know he's there, you can see him. If you don't know he's there, you will never pick up on it. So, interesting. so props to whoever noticed him and put it on <laughs> Wikipedia, but I take my hat off to you. <laughs> That is incredible. So he, um, yes, well done to you who spotted it. And to you, James, who did the research <laughs> for this. There's incredible digging. Um, I, I, I find that incredible that he went from pirating to this noble cause mm. um, of fighting off the final order. Not least because um, the final order soldiers look a bit like him. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it made it so much harder to find when the enemies so are also in red armor. <laughs> Exactly. Probably all the Sith troopers are thinking, what is that guy doing there? Yeah. He's with us. He's with us. Get back over here. <laughs> Don't shoot at him. He's on our side. I, I can't believe also that this brings into possibility that Kix is part of that final battle. Right. You know, a clone trooper who was there trying to bring about the, or uncover the conspiracy against Palpatine and is yeah. fortunate to see it all cr come crashing down, is part of the final thing that brings down Palpatine. There's something really poetic about it. Yeah, I'd love to think that he is in that battle somewhere as one of the resistance soldiers. Because like you said, there's a huge kind of thematic thing there where he probably held this guilt for years that he had the information to stop Palpatine and couldn't get it out and now he finally is able to, to do it. I like that. Mm. Would you like one final nugget of uh, of trivia in this roller coaster of information? Go for it, James. Because I, I know we might be running a bit tight on time, but I couldn't not include this. Um, so in The Force Awakens, Sidon was played by Kevin Cornwall, who was a cre uh, creature and droid performer across the sequel trilogy. I don't know who played him in The for in the Rise of Skywalker. It might have just been one of those cases where they had the costume on hand and like someone from the you know props department or something put it on for that scene. But in the Resistance episode that he was in, he was voiced by David Accord, or David Accord, who is a sound editor for Skywalker Sound. He's worked on the Star Wars films since Attack of the Clones. He's voiced a lot of characters as well in some of the films and in the animated shows. So as the sound editor on the Star Wars films, especially the Star Wars sequels, uh, he actually brought a couple of his pet cats to provide sound effects for Star Wars. <laughs> So, okay. so one of these was his, his pet cat Tex, who provided the sound effects for the Loth cats when they do their friendly chirping in Rebels. Uh, but his other cat, Porkchop. Uh, okay. So, you know, in the sequel trilogy, whenever Kylo Ren uses the Force, there's this kind of distinctive low rumbling sound, especially when he's like reading people's minds or stopping blaster bolts. That sound is David Acord's pet cat, Porkchop, purring. Really? That's yeah. Brilliant. 
that. Right? Wow. It's uh, one of my favourite sounds in Star Wars because it sounds like it's so visceral and it gives this effect of like as if every time Kylo Ren uses the Force, like there's something wrong, like it's kind of rippling reality or something with how wrong it is that he's turned yeah. to the dark side. And yeah. I love that it's a cat called Porkchop. But also, you're a cat person, James. Exactly. This fits, this fits the fact that you brought this. This is incredible. <laughs> I love cats. I love Star Wars. I love the sequel trilogy. I love Kylo Ren. It's, it's written in the stars. <laughs> this is this kind of perfect alignment of things. So James, I mm-hmm. wanted to just finish on this idea of a pirate crew in Star Wars. Okay. And I'm going to ask you, what would be your ideal pirate crew? Ooh. What would uh. what characters would not maybe not your most ideal crew, okay? Mm-hmm. But who would you put into a pirate crew together? Ah, oh, that's I'm trying to think of like the kind of different roles you'd need in a pirate crew. Am I the captain in this? No, I'm a, oh, that's a good question. I was just going to assume that it's just characters. I mean, you can throw yourself in there if you want. Oh, so I'm not... Um, okay, so I'm assembling a crew without me in it. Yes, yes, okay. that's what I would assume. That makes it easier, because I was going to say you'd have to rule out people like Hondo or Han Solo, because I think they'd be... If you were the captain, I think you wouldn't want them on your crew, because they'd be like, <laughs> no, I'm the captain. Um, oh, yeah, maybe like Hondo and Aka then, as the captain. Um, or Sidonisano, either one of them. Um, I'm going to say Hondo. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put Asajj Ventress on there because I think Ooh, she'd be she'd be very good okay. in a fight. Um, but I think she's like enough of a team player that she'd yeah. be good on a crew. Mm. Um, Zori Bliss mentioned her earlier. I Zori yeah, I'm gonna put her in there yeah. as well. She, I think she probably has um, a load of underworld connections as well. Yeah, be very useful. Um, yeah, she seems, seems pretty like street smart. I think yeah. like I think Ventress would be good in a fight, but I think Zori Bliss would be good at avoiding a fight, especially with yes. like kind of authorities or something. Mm. Um, or how many people are on this? How many people are in this slot? Okay, I'm going to give you four. It has to be four. Okay. Um, so I've got four. one more left then. Okay, no, four plus a droid. Four plus a droid. All right then. Uh, okay, so I've got Hondo, Ventress, Zori. Um, I'm gonna put Chewbacca in there as a kind of mechanic and co-pilot. Okay. I think okay. Chewie would be a good first mate, um, and good at fixing the ship when it inevitably gets broken. And then a droid, droid. Got to have a droid in there. James. Gotta have Got a droid. To. It could be an astromech like Chopper or R2. Yeah. yeah. But I'm coming around to this idea of a reprogrammed battle droid. Maybe I'd have maybe one of those commando droids from the Clone Wars. You know, the yeah. ones who are like really acrobatic. <laughs> Or weirdly acrobatic <laughs> for a droid. Just keep doing backflips. Yeah. They've, they've learned a thing or two off, uh, off uh, Maul. They yeah. They watched him too much. They they always just watching like YouTube clips of him, just thinking, oh, yeah. I want to be like I want to be like that one day. Um, <laughs> yeah. Count Count Dooku crew. taught Grievous how to do the lightsabers, and then he taught yeah. the battle droids how to do the kicks and flips. Um, my crew differs a little bit in that okay. it's probably less fighting inclined. Interesting. Um, mine um, included. Uh, <laughs> um, do you remember <laughs> Jedi Fallen Order? Yeah. Uh, do you remember and the crew? Um, yes. Grease. Do you remember Grease? I do. Um, Loves Grease his garden. 
Uh, absolutely. So I would put Grease in there because I think he would be the pilot. I also think he would be a very yeah. useful mechanic. Um, yes, that's true. Ship. Um, but I also want someone who is uh, comic, someone who could lighten the, the morale <laughs> of the crew and cook and also have a nice garden to make the place look really nice. Yeah. Um, also going on from that, have Dexter on my crew because uh, okay. I want someone who is a five-star Michelin chef uh, <laughs> on this crew wherever they go. Uh, a ship also, needs a good chef in the galley. That's a... It does. It really does. They were a crucial a, part of genuine pirate crews. Like, the, the cook was a genuinely, like, important part of a pirate crew. So, good shout. So, going on from that, I would probably have R2-D2 in there. Okay. Um, but... Um, let's make it a little bit more interesting and have um, Skippy in there. <laughs> because <laughs> um, why not have an astromech droid who's force sensitive? Naturally. <laughs> um, um, so we've got that. Now, I'm, I'm, now I need two more. So yeah. I'll probably have Din Djarin as well. Um, I would have him as a co-pilot. Someone who could also go out on um, reconnaissance missions and track things down. Because I think a bounty hunter as a pirate is probably a really useful thing to have. Uh, let's put Tech from the Bad Batch. Ooh, nice. Tech? Yeah. Um, because I think it's also useful to have someone who is... I know we've got people who can repair sh ships, mm. but that doesn't mean necessarily that they are good with building or, or harnessing technology mm. like that. So let's, um, let's go with Tech. No, that sounds good. I like that crew. So you've got... Grease to pilot, Dexter to cook, Tech to repair things and build things, Din to handle the fighting, and then R2 to generally make everything better. Uh, Skippy, James, Skippy. Oh, Skippy, sorry, yes. <laughs> Skippy <laughs> to generally make everything better. But um, on that note, James, let's. Uh, I think let's wrap this up. I think we probably should. So as well as your ideal Star Wars pirate crew, we also want to know what you think about Sid Onithano, the Crimson Corsair, the Blood Buccaneer, the Red Raider, the Silent Scourge of the Lost Cluster, and the Scaravage Tharp 7. <laughs> Let us know your thoughts on social media at Moisture Farm Rep, or you can send us an email at moisturefarmpod at gmail.com. And in fact, if you have any suggestions about topics, characters, or places in the Star Wars universe that you want us to discuss, please send them our way too. As always, you can reach us individually on Twitter. I am at James16Matthews. And I'm at Wheeler underscore Deals. And if you like this episode, why not subscribe and leave us a review on your platform of choice? And if you want to support the show, and you can literally buy us a cup of Jawa juice at buymeacoffee.com forward slash moisture farm rep. Dexter would be proud. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Adam and I. We'll be back next time to discuss more of the incredible universe that is Star Wars. But until then, we'll see you next time on the Moisture Farm Report. <laughs>